Happy Thursday and welcome to Not Boring. So that was a little bit of a different intro song than we normally go with. That was a Trilogy commercial featuring the Jackson 5 singing Trilogy 123. And we did that because today we're talking about why prescription drug commercials are the way that they are. So I've been curious about why prescription drug commercials are the way they are forever. Challenge was, I don't know very much about healthcare. I haven't been to the doctor in years. I'm not the guy to solve this mystery. But I know the guy. Nikhil Krishnan's Twitter profile says it all. Think boy, making healthcare understandable through memes, shit posts, and novelty products. He writes the funniest healthcare newsletter out there, approachable for newbies like me, and deep enough to be valuable for industry professionals. You should subscribe at outofpocket.health. He's the perfect guy to explain something as simultaneously ludicrous and technical as prescription drug commercials. And he wrote a guest post just for you to explain what's happening. Mystery solved. Let's get to it. Prescription drug commercials. Why are you the way that you are? As the Meghan, Harry, and Oprah interview aired in March, Americans were shocked. How could the British royal family treat them that way? Meanwhile, people in the UK watching the interview were also shocked at the fact that pharmaceutical companies were advertising during the interview. One person on Twitter said, I'm watching the Megan interview recording, and yet again, I can't understand why American TV ads are like, ask your doctor for, or tell your doctor. Why the fuck would you be the one to tell a doctor what medicine to give you? Maybe I'm too European to get it, but what the fuck? There are only two countries in the world that allow for direct-to-consumer pharmaceutical advertising, the U.S. and New Zealand. The only other thing these two countries share are people buying a lot of property in New Zealand. But why exactly do pharmaceutical companies advertise to us? Does it work or affect care? What's the deal with the millions of side effects that they list at the end? I'm here to talk to you about the world of pharma marketing and how it works. And when I say I throughout this, I mean Nikhil. But I actually want to get into how pharma marketing is evolving with technology. Look at whether consumer advertising is definitively bad and suggest that we should actually be focusing our scrutiny on physician marketing. Why do pharma companies market to consumers? The first question is an obvious one. It's the one the Brits had. Why do pharma companies market to the consumers when the consumers need to go to the doctor and the doctor is going to decide anyway? Pharma advertising has largely two main goals. First is for undiagnosed patients. Increasing general awareness about a disease is going to make you more likely to see a doctor in the first place, which increases the chance of you getting the drug drug prescribed. For example, If you hear a commercial that says, if you suffer from insomnia, hot sweats, or are having nightmares that you have no idea where your social security guard is, you might suddenly realize that you have those issues and there might be something to fix them. You'll especially see that for disease areas which are lifestyle hampering or are easily self-diagnosed, like sexual issues, skin and hair issues, pain, mental health, sleep issues, weight issues, stomach problems, and more. There's some data in the post at notboring.co on advertising spend by disease area. 
Fun fact, Claritin was really one of the first significant direct-to-consumer pharma campaigns with their Blue Skies campaign in the mid-1990s. Now, allergy meds are all over the counter, so the spend has dropped like crazy. For already diagnosed patients, these ads are helpful for patients who are especially active and looking for different treatments for their diseases. This happens a lot in diseases for which there's high variance in physician recommendations. Areas like cancer or rare diseases want to arm you with information about a drug, so you actually ask your doctor if the drug might make sense for your cancer type. As personalized advertising gets more targeted and the therapies themselves target smaller and smaller patient segments, ads for these drugs become a better investment. They've exploded accordingly. What are ad rules around marketing to consumers? As you can imagine, pharma marketing is murky and there are tons and tons of rules around what you can and can't do. But I thought I'd just go into a few. Rule one, the product name has to be memorable for consumers, but cannot be even close to being confused with any drug that's already on the market. Quick game. Which of these is a drug and which of these are Lord of the Ring characters? Galadriel, Horizant, Zestril, Elendil, Deneth, Dener, be honest, you got less than 50% right. Drug companies want you to remember the name, featuring Fort Minor, but will also 100% get sued for trademark issues by other drug companies if you even slightly seem to be riding the coattails of their brand success. Plus, the FDA obviously doesn't want consumers to get two drugs confused. Taking the wrong one can cause serious health issues. That's why you have these very strange-sounding, ungoogleable drug names advertised directly to consumers. Rule two, the advertisements need to say the name of the drug, brand and generic, at least one FDA-approved use for the drug, and the most significant risks of the drug. While there are some nuanced differences between print, television, radio, etc., the general gist is that drug manufacturers need to give a, quote, fair and balanced view of the drug, that means including the major side effects. This is usually the most jarring part of pharma advertising. When an ad airs, it sounds like the drug is just as likely to kill you as it is to help you. And the side effect listing will happen over some lovely couple running through a field of tulips or whatever, so it doesn't actually seem that bad. Non-US residents can see an example linked in the post. Rule number three, there are different rules between product claim advertisements, reminder advertisements, and help-seeking ads. I was on the subway the other day, and I saw what I thought was possibly the worst advertisement I've ever seen. Oh, you want to know what this product is? Fuck you. The ad says, what is Vivitrol? Ask your healthcare provider. This is an example of a reminder advertisement. It's not actually making any claims about what the product does. It's just reminding people who might already know about a product that it does in fact exist. Really high risk products will still have to include a boxed warning on these ads. These are different from the product claim advertisements I've been talking about, where the drug actually says what it treats and how well it works. So those are two types of pharma ads, but to make it even more confusing, there's a third called help-seeking ads. These are ads that, are actually, that actually aren't about a product at all. They're just talking about symptoms of a condition generally and happen to have the logo of a drug company on it without talking about the drug itself. And will say things vaguely like, there is help, ask your doctor today. These kinds of ads actually fall under the FTC instead of the FDA. Pharma marketing is evolving. Like every part of healthcare, everything changed with tech. Here are some examples. Ads shifting to the point of care. Every e-commerce native company salivates at the thought of getting an ad as close to the checkout cart as possible. Pharma is no different. Wouldn't it be great if they could advertise to you right when you're about to talk to your doctor? Well, Outcome Health installs TVs and physicians' offices to display ads. Freesia has sponsored content during the check-in process at a doctor's visits and, send follow and sends follow-up messaging. And Semcasting would use Wi-Fi and physician offices to serve up information about pharma products. 
Even virtual waiting rooms for telemedicine are getting ads, in case you miss the experience of sadly sitting at a doctor's office and reading the pamphlets. Pharmacite telemedicine plugins. One shift is to bring ads to the point of care, but another is to bring the point of care to pharma itself. This happens by adding buttons on the drug brand website that can link you out to a telemedicine consultation in one touch. A person looking at a drug's website is pretty high intent, so the telemedicine buttons make it easy for you to connect with a doctor to get a prescription written if you want. The physicians are usually part of a separate company unaffiliated with the pharma company, but if you came from the website, you're probably going to request that brand of drug during the visit. Shifting the marketing to DTC pharmacies. Why do the marketing yourself if you can work with a company that specializes in it? Companies like Roe are partnering with the generic di divisions of pharma companies like Greenstone to supply medications to patients exclusively. Their new Madison partnered with Biohaven to create the Cove brand for their migraine drug, Nurtec. The pharmacies build up the branding, spend on marketing, and acquire customers, while the pharma company gets a distribution for their drug. Patient influencers. Along with the rise of social media, influencers in different disease areas have risen to fame. They'll typically talk about living with their disease and attract followers that tend to have the disease as well who are looking for tips and a community. Even everyday influencers like the Kardashians are getting in on the pharma action, with the FDA being less than pleased. These influencers are becoming ad channels for pharma companies, with companies like WeGo Health connecting pharma companies to the different influencers. Memes. I cannot believe this, but pharma companies themselves have now discovered advertising with memes. In the post at notboring.co, there are some examples that Nikhil found from around the internet. Imagine asking the compliance department if you can fire these off. The Nurtech one isn't even using the meme correctly. What's doubly funny about this is that they're still trying to include the side effects profiles so they comply with the fair and balanced view. But as you can imagine, it's super difficult to do that in 280 characters or an Instagram square format. So is marketing to consumers bad? The popular stance to take is pharma marketing bad. And it's frankly not super hard to argue. Why should pharma companies be spending money to induce consumer demand when they can instead take that money and reinvest it into R&D? Just for fun and my love of angry emails, I'll play a little devil's advocate. One question is whether these ads are a net negative societal cost. This means that the dollar cost going into these ads and the value where they could otherwise be invested is higher than the benefits they provide. Nikhil found a paper that found prescriptions for statins, a very important cholesterol-lowering drug, dropped when there were less statin ads due to the 2008 political campaign taking up all the ad space. And we want relevant people to take statins. It's bad if they don't. Another paper argues that a 10% increase in antidepressants ad spend demonstrated a 0.3% increase in antidepressant prescriptions, followed by a decrease in workplace absenteeism. They estimate worth $770 million. This is a very hard area to study, but in general, you can probably argue there are some beneficial effects of ads to get people to take useful drugs. On the flip side, a dollar invested into pharma R&D has gotten steadily much worse over time, dropping to 1.8% return on a dollar invested. So is it possible that pharma ad investment might have a higher societal benefit than we think? I'm not going to say definitively yes, but I don't think it's as black and white as people say. Another question is whether pharma marketing is misleading patients or disrupting the physician visit where the prescription decision is made. The FDA themselves actually ran a survey in 2002 to understand this. 73% of physicians indicated that their patient in this encounter asked thoughtful questions because of the direct-to-consumer ad exposure. 91% of physicians reported that the particular patient they were called did not attempt to influence their treatment in a manner that would have been harmful to the patient. 58% of physicians thought direct-to-consumer ads made patients more involved in their health. 
On the flip side, 65% believe the ads confuse patients about the relative risks and benefits of prescription drugs, and 22% of primary care physicians felt somewhat or very pressured to write a prescription. So I think there are pros and cons that are more reflective of healthcare in America as a whole, where our ethos is to give patients as much information as possible. This inevitably leads to some tensions with physicians. This is not dissimilar to the tensions that exist with physicians and patients Googling their symptoms before they come for a visit. Not saying either way is right, it's just an ideological difference on whether we want consumers armed with information when talking to their doctor, even if their information might be biased. The final point I'll argue is that at least we know when we're being advertised to if we see a TV commercial. Patients are pretty clear about the motivation of the company doing the advertising. However, in 2016, $20.3 billion was invested into advertising to physicians. That's more than 2x to spend going directly to consumers. I would argue this is actually much worse because consumers are less privy to the fact that their physicians are also influenced by drug company marketing. A disproportionate amount of the conversation focuses on the direct-to-consumer advertising aspect when physician marketing is more problematic, though tackling one doesn't mean we can't also be addressing the other. In part two of the series, Nikhil will talk about the more opaque world of pharma marketing to physicians and how that's also changing as well. Sign up for Out of Pocket to get it. Just to reiterate, I'm not some sort of pharma shill, but just wanted to surface some of the less common viewpoints on this issue, and hopefully you learned a bit more about why some of the ads you see are the way that they are. Think boy out. Nikhil, aka Pharma, I'll help you with your memes. Call me. P.S. Everyone definitely remembers that Cialis commercial with two people sitting side by side in bathtubs. Turns out that was a decision made last minute on set, and I guess they just had two bathtubs lying around. Now they just roll with it because it's so iconic. Hope you learned a little bit this week about why prescription drug commercials are the way that they are. Be sure to subscribe to Nikhil's newsletter at outofpocket.health, and you can also join the community there. Have a great weekend, and I will talk to you on Monday. Neutrality.